morning. My name's Chad, one of the pastors here. Yay, thank you. So my wife, first service, goes, did you not see it? I was like, what are you talking about? And so, thank you. Um, I feel older. Um, One of the things that the Bible talks about is that we should remember those who are in chains around the world. And it is a call to remember those who are in prison or who are suffering because of the name of Jesus. But it's also a call for us just to remember that we are a body of Christ that is scattered around the world. Uh, Our brothers and sisters in Texas are facing some extreme stuff. Uh, I grew up in the South, and so we did not have plows. We did not bury our pipes deep. We did not insulate them. And so if it froze, it froze. And that's what's happened. And so you guys know that Brandon Ziski, if you don't know him, he was the pastor here before, is a very close friend and was just with him uh, before he came home to the ice storm. And pretty much every other person has had their pipes freeze and burst and there's, there's no water. And so it's uh, one of those things where they need our prayers. Um, but God put it on my heart and feel like just go with my gut a lot of times that we need to help financially. And we count on you every week listening to Jesus and responding to his voice with your own tithe. And we encourage you to continue to do that. It's an act of worship. But I'm also asking that you might consider going above and beyond and giving to our Texas offering is what we're calling it. And there's a thing out there and you can see the little sign of of, uh, the state of Texas. It just says Texas offering. And what they're doing is coming up with a fund to help people basically pay for plumbing um, and water. And Brandon sent me some pictures yesterday. Uh, Their church was able to acquire about 1,200 gallons of water and they invited the community, if you need water, the cars were lined up beyond what you could see. And he said, and people were just crying because they haven't had water for days. And so they're coming with gallon jugs and this and just filling stuff up and basically trying to to make ends meet. And so it's a way for us to show the love of Jesus. And even Brandon said that. He says, it's so amazing just to care for people in this way. And so I just want to invite you to do that. Just pray. Uh, If you want to find out more, Brandon made a quick video. It's on our website. It'll be on Facebook today. You can take a look, pray, listen, just listen to Jesus, do what he says. That's what we always ask of you. But we would love to send them a big check and just to trust that our reach from here as we remember the body of Christ is making it down there. So Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for uh, your church. And Lord, thank you for how you're bringing new people in all the time. And Lord, I am so mindful of just as you allow things to happen, and even with what's happening down in Texas and how many people are considering Christ. Uh, Brandon was telling me that uh, there are many of the apartment buildings around their church complex are people that are traditionally Hindu and Muslim. And they're the ones that were driving up saying, we need water. And just the ability to say to them that we love you in Jesus name. And we want you to know him, Lord, it's so important. And so God, you use the things that are happening in our world to draw us to yourself. Uh, Lord, you know exactly what we need this morning. And we ask that you would use your word to minister to our hearts, to move us along in our walk with you. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, If you have a Bible, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to be there for a long time. But 
I'm really enjoying it. I hope you are too. We're getting to get a snapshot view, right? Like we're standing on the ground, uh, getting our feet wet and hearing the voice of Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Uh, as you're turning there, and if you want to flip to it on your device, you can also just listen and watch it uh, as it's on the screen. I want you to think about this truth and this fact that God knows exactly what you need to get you to the next place in your journey with him. And so just take a little inventory right now, all the things that are in front of you, uh, whether it's work stuff, uh, you're wondering what's going to happen with this or this. Maybe you're trying to get a job. Maybe there's something going on in your family uh, or with a spouse or with some kids. And it's difficult. There are things that are happening. There are obstacles in your way. Uh, he knows your heart location. He knows where you are. I mention that all the time in Genesis. It's one of the first questions in the Bible. God asks Adam and Eve after they've sinned, where are you? He doesn't want to know where they are in the garden. Southeast corner, like that's not what he's asking. He's asking, where is your heart? Where's your heart today? And where does it need to go? Jesus knows that. And even with that little inventory you took, he knows what's next for you. He knows what to do in order to move you beyond that and to get you to a place of maturity and growth. And so we're going to watch Jesus do this with three guys that we've come to know, Peter, James, and John, and watch him move their hearts. Watch him say, I know what you need. Let's do this. So let's look at Luke 9, verse 28, just the first few verses to kind of put our head into the moment and see what's happening. So now about eight days after these sayings, Pastor Joe took us through these sayings. We're going to talk about them in a minute, but they're pretty intense, pretty intense things and questions. The same question, who is Jesus? After these sayings, he took with him Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he was praying, now up until this time, they've not seen this, Okay. So they've just seen him as a human being, flesh and blood. He's done some amazing things. He said some amazing things, but they've not seen this. The appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him. And somehow they knew that it was Moses and Elijah, pretty big heroes in their world, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So what sayings, after these sayings, so Pastor Joe did an amazing job. If you didn't get a chance to listen, it's on our website. I encourage you to do that. Asking those questions, who is Jesus? What do I want? What does he want from me? And Jesus actually started saying some pretty intense things. So they know he loves them. They know he cares about them. It says he has compassion. He's healing people. He's giving people food. People are rising from the dead. People that have had leprosy and have been rejected or people, the woman, remember a couple of weeks ago, she was bleeding. Nobody wanted to touch her. Nobody wanted to be around her. He's caring for them. He's reestablishing their place in society. So they know he cares about them. They know he loves them, but he just took kind of a dark turn in his words. And he started saying things like, I'm going to be killed. And they're like, What? We just got started. What do you mean you're going to be killed? Now, not only that, but you're going to need to take up your own cross. Joe and I were talking about this last week. The cross hasn't happened. Nobody knows that. Like we have it. It's like, usually we've got them in our things. We're around our necks. We're like, oh yeah, the cross. Everybody knows the cross. We make the sign of the cross. They didn't know the cross. 
So Jesus just said, take up your cross and fair question to say, what does that mean? What do you mean? He's saying things like you're going to have to deny yourself. He goes, actually, if you're going to save yourself by actually trying to just go for it in this world, you're going to lose. You're going to lose your life. And actually, if you pursue the world, if you pursue the things of the world, if you gain the whole world, you could forfeit your soul. Whoa. Like we're past miracles here, Jesus. We're past the cool stuff. This is hard. You're saying difficult things to me. These are strong words. These are powerful words. And I kind of see Jesus like drawing a line in the sand, like the way he did with the woman who was caught. Remember that? He gets down and he kind of draws in the Passion of the Christ movie. They show that it's almost like he's like drawing this line, like cross this line. Drawing the line in your heart to say this is a new moment. This is important. This is a transition in your life. I know what you need next. I like to imagine that in heaven, there's a switchboard that says Chad on it. And it has dials and gauges and measurements. And Jesus goes up to it. And there's one lever that is like the good lever, like the things that are great that happen. And I really would like for him to move that lever all the time, right? But then there are other dials and wheels and cranks and, you know, just cool stuff where he's like, boop, 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 boop. I thought this is me. This is my simple imagination as I think about Jesus and how he works in my heart. What does Chad need? We're going to flip this one and this is going to be tough. And I'm down here. I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't have to flip that switch. Just push the other lever just a little bit more. I promise I'll be good. But I think Jesus right here with Peter, James, and John is saying, I got to turn this wheel. This is, the, this is the tough one. This is the one that raises the pressure. This is the one that brings the heat. But if you're going to be who I want you to be, I've got to turn this wheel. And that's the stuff he's starting to talk about. And what I love, though, is he does it both with, here are difficult things that I'm going to say, but I want to show you something. And it starts with an invitation from Jesus to come up here. Come with me. Let's go up. I love this picture and I hate this picture because I'm terrified of heights. And that girl in the end... Oh, she makes me so mad. She's like, woohoo, whoa. Do you see those other people? They're like, we're out of here, man. I'm leaving. That's me. In fact, I'm probably not even anywhere near those things. Like I've actually gone up in things. Like I've gone up in lighthouses and stuff. It's like, you know what? I'll just kind of hang back here, <laughs> hug the wall. I just, it's just, I get that feeling in my stomach. And some people are like, this is awesome. Jesus is saying, come on. Let's go up. Let's go to this difficult place. Let's go to this thing that's going to raise the intensity. So Peter, James, John, come with me. Where are we going? Up there. Oh. Uh, no. Maybe not. That's difficult. I don't think I want to do that. They kind of knew. There's just, there was, they just heard him say really difficult things. So they knew whatever comes next, it's probably going to be more of that. If you're going to take me up there too, and I don't know, I'm not really good at praying anyway. You do this thing where you pray all the time, Jesus, and I just get tired. I get tired when you pray, and I don't know if I can do that. But he says, come with me. Come with me. 
So I believe that the Bible is not meant to be this cryptic thing where only scholars and people that have studied it can understand it. And so what's a really simple takeaway from this moment? Jesus wants to talk with you. He wants you to come with him every day to hear his voice. You heard James mention our Bible in one year app. Do it. Do it with us. Is it hard? Yeah, it's hard. Are there days that I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so long. Yeah. And are there days that maybe I take a little bit more of a shortcut? Sure. But am I committed to being with Jesus and to hearing his voice? Him saying, come up here, spend time with me, Chad. I want to talk to you. I spent all last year in that app. First time, okay, here I am. First time I've ever been through the Bible straight in a year. I've done, you know, pockets here and there, but never could I, and I just, and it wasn't like, wow, I'm proud of me. It was, whoa, what's happening in here? I actually made it through the election and still making it through the COVID craziness and all this stuff and everybody being, and Lord, I feel especially now disconnecting from some things, some sources online, some social media stuff. I, I like this. I like this. And now starting year two, and we have a bunch of us on staff are doing it, and a lot of you have started doing it. It's like, this is, there's something here. Or there's life here. There's life here. Jesus is saying, chair time with me up there. Come on, come up here. He's aware that they're probably struggling with what he said about death and suffering and lay down your life and take up your cross and do these hard things. And no, you can't pursue the things of the world. And yes, you have to give that up. And if you try to pursue that, you're going to lose. And those are hard things. I've had some conversations with you, friends and people here in the church over the last year, even in the last weeks. And the emails and conversations are all very similar. And I understand them because I am, have been in exactly the same place. And I fight to get out of that place every day. The come up here moment with me and Jesus sitting in the chair, forcing myself to be with him is to get me out of it. The stuff that makes me go, but what if? And I'm so anxious about this. And then what if they come for this? What if they do this? And what if this? And what if this isn't really happening? What if this isn't really the thing? And what happened? What if? <gasps> Jesus says, hey, hey. <laughs> you ever have your parents do that? Hey, stop it. Look at me. Come up here. No matter what your conclusions about the world that we're living in, COVID, politics, this conspiracy theory, whatever there is always a different and better perspective in Jesus Christ. And it is the one voice you must listen to. It's the one voice you must listen to. How do you see the world right now? Jesus says, come up here. How are you interpreting the events of your life? Jesus says, come up here. Are you anxious and distressed? Jesus says, come up here with me, with me. Now, Peter and James and John had witnessed amazing things, miracles, feeding of the 5,000, raising the dead. But when it came to the physical appearance of Jesus, he still just looked like a person. They hadn't seen beyond. They hadn't been able to peek behind the curtain. He was still just a human being who sweat and dirt accumulated on his forehead and under his fingernails. And he had dirty feet. He had to take a bath, had to eat. He was a human being. 
But the Bible tells us that he was fully God and fully man. And so this moment is huge because all of a sudden, let's just imagine Jesus with his robe and, and kind of the stuff. And just imagine that light just starts to spill out of one of the pieces of fabric. And it actually like his eyelid, like it's like, you're just like, what is happening? Like it's coming out of his pores. He's not just a human being anymore. There's dazzling white bright light that is making me afraid. It's a huge moment. And yet he's also fully man. Now, Jesus didn't, one of the heresies out there is called docetism. And it's just that Jesus just like kind of took up a human body and just used it for a while, like a shell. Like it was like a little disguise. No, he embraced this stuff that you and I feel every day, the difficult stuff. Hebrews tells us that he identifies with all of the things that you identify with, the things you struggle with. He struggled, yet he did it without sin. He's able to help us in our time of need because he suffered as a human being. He took it on. He was in, think about this, in embryonic form in Mary, growing, tied to her body, umbilical cord, all that stuff, needing those nutrients, the ancient of days, the everlasting father is in a human womb. And he was born, not like, boop. he's just out. It's great. He's here. No, labor and delivery, minus C-sections, minus epidurals, difficult stuff in the first century. Savior of the world gets it, understands Fully God, fully man. I wonder if Peter, James, and John, and I, I like to think about Peter, James, and John like me, because I think Peter shows that he had a big mouth. I have a big mouth. <laughs> Said some things you shouldn't say. I say some things I shouldn't say often. Irrational at times, kind of like, you know, like Peter's the one who's swinging the sword in the garden, trying to cut off some guy's ear. Actually, they think he was trying to cut off his head. I, I can relate, <laughs> right? I can relate. And so I like it to think about Peter, James, and John. And I imagine them at this moment terrified, but also kind of standing next to each other, like maybe hugging each other, like all three of them, like, quit, quit hugging me. <gasps> Light is coming out of his eyeballs. And then as they start to realize what's happening, I imagine one of them like punching John in the arm going, I knew it. I told you. I told you, because no, I told you, I knew it first. But this realization that he's not just, like he really is who he says he is. He is son of God, fully God and fully man. Jesus isn't random when he does something. Moses and Elijah are here for a reason. It's not just to be like, oh, who could we pick? This would, oh, I know, Moses and Elijah. They're pretty popular. Moses and Elijah are there because do you remember a story in the Old Testament where Moses was called to what on a mountain? Come up here. He receives the law. And so Jesus, when he had his Bible, you know, the one verse and when the devil is tempting him in the wilderness and he tempts him and he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Do you know what Bible he was talking about? Old Testament. That was his Bible. It wasn't like this throwaway. It was, they didn't have the New Testament yet. The New Testament was kind of being lived out at the moment. So Moses is standing there. He's the one who received the law. He's standing next to Jesus. And then we have Elijah, 
prophet who is talked about as one who would be there when the Messiah comes. Well, there's the Messiah. There's Moses. There's Elijah. Peter, James, and John are just sitting there watching this. And Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are standing there going, hey, Moses. Hey, Elijah. How's it going? Pretty good. Why are they alive? This isn't a hologram. This is no pre-recorded message in a droid. This is real. They're alive. They're alive. They've been dead for years, but they're alive. What's the simple takeaway? What happens when you die? You don't. <laughs> you don't. As C.S. Lewis said, this is the book cover and the table of contents. Chapter one begins there. Moses and Elijah are alive because the resurrection is real. Jesus is talking to them. They're having a conversation. Disciples are witnessing this whole thing. And what are they saying to each other? They're talking about his departure. And this is one of those words that's cool to know what the original is because the original word is his exodus. Oh, Moses, exodus. What was accomplished in the exodus of the Old Testament? Freedom from captivity into a new promised land. Moses is the leader who's taking them. Jesus is the new Moses taking us out of captivity. Exodus, he is going to go through the water of death on the cross and come out on the other side, resurrected. That's why the baptism is also seen as a death and resurrection. We go through the waters. Jesus, it's all foreshadowed. And so he's saying, look, this isn't random. This is on purpose. I'm taking you and talking about this difficult stuff because it's been planned forever. Think about that. It's been planned forever. There's a verse in the New Testament that says, the kingdom which I have been working on before the foundation of the world for you. The kingdom of God has been being worked on for you before there was a blade of grass. I heard a comment this week about the Old Testament. It was well-intentioned, but it was wrong. And it said this, I am so thankful that Jesus reinterprets the Old Testament. Incorrect. Incorrect. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Jesus is the pinnacle. He is the revealing of. One of the phrases we use is that Jesus is old, in the Old Testament concealed, in the New Testament revealed. Many times we think of the Old Testament as like an iPhone 2. We're like, I don't want that. That won't even connect to the network anymore. It's not an upgrade. The New Testament is an upgrade. The New Testament is part two. It is the revealing, the fulfillment of what he accomplished because guess who the guy was calling Moses to come up on the mountain? Jesus is like, that was me. I was the one. Who was the guy in the burning bush? The great I am. Jesus would tell us later in the New Testament, yeah, I am. I am. It's him. He is connecting the dots. The gospel goes back before time began. He is the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So for our three boys, Peter, James, and John, this is a lot to take in, isn't it? This is a lot to take in. What they're seeing, what Jesus has been talking about, that Moses and Elijah are standing there in front of them alive. It's pretty intense. 
So let's see what happens, how they respond. Verse 32. Now, Peter and those who were with him, I love this phrase, Luke, you're the man for putting this phrase in here, were heavy with sleep. They were heavy with sleep. If I could describe my walk with Jesus and how I feel many days, how are you doing? I'm heavy with sleep today. That's how I feel. They were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two guys standing next to him, Moses and Elijah. As the men were parting, they're leaving. Peter said to Jesus, this is, this, this is awesome. This is awesome. Lord, it's really good that we're here. And I'm thinking we need three tents. I'll make one for you. It'll be bigger than those guys. And we'll make one for Moses and one for Elijah. And we can just like have this like three awesome like tabernacle things up here. It could be like this temple thing. You know, I'm just thinking we could call it Transfiguration Nation and have tickets and people could come up. And what do you think? You got to love Luke. Luke throws this in there. In addition to heavy with sleep, he says, not knowing what he said. It's Luke kind of saying in parentheses, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Just erase that part. Verse 34, as he was saying these things, and God doesn't say, that's dumb. That's stupid. <laughs> what are you doing, Peter? He doesn't even do that. He just says, After he's, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them. Kind of like a cloud, pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. Kind of like the cloud that overshadowed the mountain when Moses was up on the mountain. Yeah, that cloud, the glory of the Lord cloud. They were afraid, which is usually what happens as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, the tent thing is so stupid. No, <laughs> this, <laughs> this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone and they kept silent. I bet they did and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. <laughs> they couldn't figure it out. It was still too, a, little, a little too intense. You ever had those moments where you say you're awake? Somebody's trying to talk to you. You're like, I'm awake. I'm, I, yeah, I'm good. But you're not really awake. We have these moments often in our house and it's not my wife, it's me. And usually it's prompted by a big snowplow coming through the drive, the road at about three in the morning when it's snowing and I leap out of bed like a wild man. And usually I stand in the middle of the room like this. <sighs> and I don't say anything. And Lisa's a very light sleeper. And if I wake her up like that, she's gonna be up for an hour. But so she's awake and she's like, what, what's going on? And usually I pretend like it's all normal. I should be standing here like this. And so I start to try to have an almost awake conversation. It's okay, I'm, I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I just, need, I just need a minute. I need to deal with this thing here. And sometimes I'm like over and I'm like reaching on the window and touching things and like, holding stuff in the room. And I'm very, I think I'm doing a good job. <laughs> That's what I think. And about five minutes later, then I realize, oh, and I lay back down and I'm out in 10 seconds. And Lisa's awake for 30 minutes like this. <laughs> I'm not fully awake. And I have those moments where Lisa's trying to get me to wake up. 
Just because you're in the room, just because you're invited and you're with Jesus doesn't mean you will be fully alert to know what he's doing and to see. And I love that they're heavy with sleep, that they're missing it, that they're kind of exhausted and distracted and that they struggle. And later on in the New Testament, we're going to see another moment where Jesus asked them to stay awake with him. Can you just pray with me? And they're like, what? Yeah, pray. I love praying. That's... That's how I feel a lot of times. But eventually, your heart and your mind catch up, right? And you get there, which is what we need to happen. Spiritually, we need to wake up and we become fully awake. Fully awake. Found this picture. I love it. This guy's sitting in a place that I want to be. This is my jam right here. Some dark wood covered coffee house slash library. The sun is just beaming through the windows, but not too bright. The coffee's just perfect. It smells great. I'm a coffee snob. As I was saying, first service, not as much as of a coffee snob as some other people on staff. <laughs> I thought Starbucks was high dollar. Some, then some people were telling me that's burnt. You don't want Starbucks. That's lame coffee. I'm like, oh, okay. And other people drink Folgers and they think it's still the greatest thing. Either way, I'm, in the, I'm on the coffee snob spectrum kind of here. Um, but I love this. And that's kind of what I, that's how I wake up, you know, in the morning, that first cup of coffee, showered, gotta have a shower because I'm not fully awake, clean, fresh, ready. We need to be fully awake. We need to get to that place where we're able to say, okay, Lord, now I'm ready. Because Jesus, I didn't know you were there before. I didn't really know it was you. I was tired, Lord, just a little crabby. I was heavy with sleep. You may feel that way in your own walk with Jesus sometimes. Lord, you asked me to come with you. You asked me to pray with you. You asked me to spend time in the word. I tried that whole Bible in one year thing. I did Bible in two days. And then I stopped. I was up late. I didn't get up early. I know I am. Heavy with sleep, Lord. Here's what I love. God doesn't cancel the event because they're heavy with sleep. He doesn't say, ah, you're sleeping? Back down the mountain. Bartholomew, Thaddeus, you guys come on up. Let's try you. <laughs> he doesn't. He just says, I'll, I'll give you a moment. Wake up. Yep. Yep. This is real. This is, wake up. Stand, why don't you stand up? It'll probably help you. He's patient. He's kind. Your heart is not dependent on you. Your heart growing and moving is dependent on him. And so he knows that. So he's staying with it. They finally become fully awake. And Peter is so awake that he is stumbling all over himself. And he is trying to make sense of this thing. This is amazing. This is the, I can't even believe we're here. Look, it's Moses, the Moses, like part the sea, Moses, it's Moses, it's Elijah. You know, Elijah, like Jesus, did you know Elijah laid on a dead guy? And oh yeah, you knew that. Um, it's Elijah, the prophet. This is awesome. This is the greatest church thing ever. I can do it now. I can, I can do this. Lord, if this is walking with you, this is how it feels. I get to see you like glowing and everything. How do you do that? And Moses and Elijah, and it's all real and true and resurrection of the dead is real. What I'm feeling now, I could conquer the world. I can do it. So I think we need to make tents. <laughs> I think we should stay here. I think we should bottle this up 
and serve it up because this is the good stuff. And we try to do this with our walk with Jesus, don't we? We don't want to go down. We want to stay in that amazing place, this pinnacle, this mountaintop experience. And you know, his heart isn't tainted here or impure. Peter just loves the moment, but doesn't quite get it. And God lets us know that he doesn't get it, but not even addressing what he said. <laughs> he just moves on. It's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not even going to say anything about that. I'm just going to keep going because this is important. It's important for you to hear our conversation and to see what this whole thing is about. Whenever we try to contain or freeze frame our experience in the Lord, we are potentially missing the next step and worst case, heading down the wrong path. So as Peter is saying these wrong things, God sweeps in and just gives us the best gift ever, which is to say, just listen to him. It's the most important voice you will ever hear in your life. Listen to my son and not partially, not, oh, I like that. I like that part of Jesus. Can I put that in my tent? I like this part of Christianity. Can I put that in my tent? I'm not really sure about that one. I'm going to put that in this tent and I'll bring a few people to that one, but I'll bring everybody to this one. That'd be, I want to kind of parse it. Is that okay if I just parse it up a little bit, Lord? Because it's a little uncomfortable to have all this stuff. And Jesus says, no, all of it or none of it. Hear my voice completely. Hear my voice as we go back. The world says this to you right now. And you may have heard some of these voices. You may believe some of them. I know I have in my past. Let's put Jesus in this little container over here. Let's keep him stuck up in the mountains of Faithland. Transfiguration Nation, yeah, let people go there. But don't bring him down here. Don't, don't bring him into the real world because he says difficult things about dying to self and suffering for following him. It's not what God says. God says every word. There's a danger with our words, our thoughts, our ideas of Jesus that will eventually stray from his. And I want to tell you something that I have endorsed someone from the front before and I need to unendorse them today. And it breaks my heart. Um, Ravi Zacharias, a couple months ago, passed away and had served his whole life. And I was just so, I'd learned from him. I took classes online from Ravi Zacharias International, um, learned a lot about sharing the gospel, about apologetics. That's important thing that God's truth is God's truth. Even if he uses at times someone who has fallen and bottom line, Ravi somewhere along the way, put the words of Jesus in a tent and kept them on a mountain. And they didn't make their way down into the world with him and which led him to sexual misconduct, crimes proven, many, many witnesses. Breaks your heart because it just started with a small decision at some point to say, he probably doesn't mean that. He probably doesn't mean that. Jesus says, don't put me in a tent. <laughs> don't keep me on the mountain. I am meant to go with you into the darkest places. 
I'll tell you, as the world and even the progressive religious movement, which is kind of what I call it, I don't call it progressive Christianity because it's not Christianity, continues to twist and distort the gospel as they intend to silence you and me, put us in our place, put us in a tent. We're going to stand on the truth of God's word with grace and gentleness, okay? Not with guns. We stand with grace and gentleness and kindness and self-sacrifice and the love of Christ. But we will increasingly be seen. The closer the day comes, we will be increasingly seen as extreme, zealots, fanatics, over the top, need to be silenced. And it's not because Jesus has moved it's because the world has moved. He has stayed the same. And so I'm just telling you from this, as long to the best of my ability and to the grace of God, we will follow and listen to that voice, his voice in his word. I've said this before, this follower of Jesus is going down on the Jesus ship if necessary. We will. I will not withhold any word from him to you. I will not put any of it in a tent. I encourage you not to do the, the same. Every word, even the tough ones, even the difficult ones. Safe to say that Peter, James, and John had a big moment here, <laughs> right? It's safe to say they'd be like, yeah, remember it was like normal, normal miracles, raise the dead. That's pretty cool. Feeding the 5,000 and then exploding light through his skin, Right? Can you imagine that basically once something like this happens, that maybe it's a watershed moment for you? Everything changes. You can't unsee it. You can't go back to the way things were. That's what's happening here. So let's look at what happens when they move from this moment. Verse 37, we'll finish up with this. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd is waiting for them. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, teacher, I beg you, look at my boy. It's my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. And another gospel telling of this story tells us that the demons that were in this boy were actually trying to kill him, throw him into the fire, try to drown him. So serious stuff. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him. It will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he's coming, the demon threw him to the ground, convulsed him, but Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy gave him back to his father and all were astonished at the majesty of God. So Peter wanted to stay up there. It was great. It's an awesome moment. Mountaintop experience, literally. What does Jesus, if there was a phrase, maybe on the way down and maybe Peter asked, was that, it's probably a bad thing when I said the tent thing. Like, I don't think I meant that, but can you tell me why? And I, I hear Jesus saying to him, you can't stay up here. You can't stay up here. We have to go down there. Worship is great. Experiencing Jesus in chair time is great, but there's a world that needs the gospel. 
We have to go. They need to hear him. Luke starts this whole sequence with Jesus' invitation, come up here, but eventually you have to go down the mountain. I love watching documentaries on Mount Everest. And it scares me. <laughs> it's one of those where it's like, I wonder if I could have ever done that. And Lisa's like, you would not let you do that. <laughs> Which is totally true. Like, imagine, listen, it costs like $50,000 to go up Mount Everest right now. So you can actually go and pay $50,000 to have somebody guide you up Mount Everest. So imagine that conversation with some husband has gone home and said, honey, I'm going to take some of our retirement, like just 50,000. And I'm going to go and see if I can die <laughs> on the mountain because that's what happens. People go up there and it's so deadly. They actually call it the death zone. When you get to a certain altitude, they're walking. Nobody can help anybody. You're on oxygen. You're on your own two legs. They pass people who have literally sat down and died next to the path. They're sitting there frozen like this. And people die up there all the time. And they actually say, oh, there's another one. And all they can do is move them to the side. Because to do more than that, to get the bodies down, they waste all their energy, then they die. So there's bodies everywhere. But this is what's crazy. Most of the deaths on Mount Everest, you know when they happen? Coming down. Coming down. I just, that's fascinating to me. You'd think this is so hard going up, but it's, we did it. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I've got to go back down. And that's, they slip, they fall, they get tired. The altitude messes with you. They say, people just sit down and say, I just want to sit here for a second. And they're like, don't sit down. They sit down. They never get up. They never get up. I feel like this is a lot of times the way of walking with the Lord, where we have these amazing experiences. You could probably name them in your time with Jesus over the years of this is what did it. This is what caused me to turn. This is what caused me to follow. And then you start going down, you get back down into life and you just are like, ah, I just gotta sit down. I gotta sit down. I can't do this. Here's this dad whose son needs help. And supposedly the gospel in the kingdom of God that Jesus already sent them out to do, and they'd already been casting out demons, already been doing great stuff. They should be able to handle this, right? We just saw Jesus with light coming out of his eyeballs. We are excited. We are fired up. We're going to get this done. Yep. Peter's like, yes, I can. Yes, I can heal your son. Bring him to me. In the name of Jesus, the glowing lights and all that stuff come out. And it doesn't work. Maybe John steps up and goes, you're not saying it right. Let me do it. Steps in and he tries. Still doesn't happen. And actually it doesn't happen. And the demons flip out and start really resisting and throwing the boy on the ground. And so they're like, what? What's happening? And the, the father's like, I thought you could help. I thought this was real help. Jesus comes on the scene. And I think this is, how many times has that conversation been had in church where somebody's been like, I was so excited about following the Lord. I was so excited about the love of Jesus and spending time with him. And now I just want to give up. I don't want to do this anymore. It doesn't work. You're not holding your mouth right. You know, like whatever we say, the different things we think, well, you just got to pray more intensely. You got to go after this more intensely. And Jesus is like, stop it. Stop it. 
That is not what you have to do. This is not about your effort. And we don't know, but my guess is the disciples maybe got a little big head and thought, we've been up on the mountain. We're fired up. We can do this. I'm going to go out. I'm going to have light come out of my hands too. We don't know. And I think that's actually okay that we don't know. All we know is that Jesus steps in and he's a little bit, hmm. You know, you ever felt that from him? Where he's a little bit, hmm for how you are, and you have to hear him go, hmm. And he just kind of says, ah, faithless generation, bring him here, bring him here. So you're like, is that a rebuke? Did we do something wrong? No, okay, we'll just, we'll just take him to you. Either way, he steps in. Either way, he's there. Either way, he's with them. Either way, he didn't stay on the mountain. He came down too. He's with them and he does it. He heals the little boy. They can't do it. They are unable. They lose faith. They get things a little twisted. Easy to do. But Jesus is good for it. Jesus is good for it. Same way that when they were heavy with sleep on the mountain, he didn't decide, I'm not going to show you. And same thing when they ever, whatever they did that was wrong in trying to minister to this little boy, Jesus doesn't bail on him. He says, I got it. I got it. You're making me crazy, but I got it. You know, I'm with you. I'm staying here. Can I just say this? This is life in Jesus. This is it, folks. This is, it only gets more difficult in this life from here. Okay, that's it. But he will remain faithful. He will be our one true voice, the one righteous one. Do you think Peter, James, and John, as they were coming down the mountain here, and as they watched him do this with the little boy, were a little bit afraid of Jesus? Like, imagine coming down the mountain. Come on, guys, we got to go down. We got some stuff going on. They're like, oh, oh, okay, you, you go ahead. I'm not, I'm not getting. You go. He had light coming out of his eyes. I'm not going to get close to him. Like they had to have this a little bit, like. Like, it was really amazing all the stuff you did, but now like you're, you glow, you, you like fire and I'm afraid of that. They probably had a healthy awe, wonder at who Jesus was as they were stepping into this. They've seen something otherworldly. They've seen behind the curtain. They've seen that this is just the dress rehearsal. They know he has truly come from the kingdom, the eternal kingdom. They can't unsee it. They can't walk back. Nothing stays the same. How can it? How can I walk away? It puts everything into perspective. He has come from another place, another kingdom. It's as real as the chair you're sitting in this morning. And as real as the fancy or not so fancy coffee you drank this morning. Or tea, if you're a tea person. He has gone to great lengths to save you, to come. And he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, preparing a place for you. He's the goal. He's the treasure. He's the pearl of great price. He is the desire of our souls. Our prayer here at Pleasant Valley is that you'll know this. You'll say yes to this. We'll close with a quote from... Chronicles of Narnia, The Last Battle. Great series if you've never read. Um, But one of the characters, when they get to what is heaven, 
kind of the, if showing the light coming out of his skin and seeing, hey, here's from the future. Moses and Elijah just happened to pop down from wherever that is. And, but that is real. That is the reality. Here's what the character says. I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. And then this phrase, which I love, come further up, come further in. My daughter and I were talking a couple days ago. She had to do a paper for one of her classes at Northwestern on the doctrine of God. And she wrote it and I was reading it and I was like, goodness, girl knows more than I do. Um, And it was wonderful to talk about the Lord, but we got to talking about the depth of God and who he is and his character and how he's endless. And just this thought came to my mind. We could be 3,500 years into heaven. Think about that. Or 3,756, whatever. Measuring earth time, because we're not going to be measuring earth time there. But let's just say you've been there. Or like the old hymn says, when we've been there 10,000 years. What does it say? We've only just begun. You will have been there over 3,000 years. And you will have scratched the surface of who God is. And you will be so hungry to know more. You will have scratched the surface of the endless lengths and height and breadth and width of God's character and his love and the kingdom which he has prepared for you. And you will get there and you will say, I belong here. This is my home. And what I want to tell you today is know it true. It's true today. It's true today. Jesus invites you, come further up, come further in. Let's pray. Lord, you're so good. And I love that you knew what Peter, James, and John needed at that moment. And I love that today in a room here, of so many different people, we have so many different things going on. And those who are listening online, Lord, you're, there's a lot. And you know exactly what we need. You know exactly where we need to go, what the next step will be. God, you're a master at turning those dials and wheels and pulling levers and switches. And, and I know you don't do that, but I know that it helps me to understand sometimes the way you work and move. And so, Lord, we know from your word that you love us. We know that you came for us. We know that you paid price to atone for our sins. God, we ask for understanding. Lord, let us also see behind the curtain. Let us walk down the mountain with you, having been changed and a little bit in scary awe of you, but also super excited at what you have for us. Lord, we pray as we ask, we sing about a blessing, Lord, from you. Bless us right now. Bless us with understanding. Bless us with revelation. Lord, let us experience your love in this room right now. Amen. Why don't we stand together as we sing?